Welcome to episode 247 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. For a couple of weeks now, you might have noticed a new link in the show notes for Stageworthy episodes. A link to the tip jar. I've been considering for a while now how best to talk about this that doesn't sound like begging for money. So, you know what? Here's just here's the deal. Stageworthy is a one-man production. I do the hosting, the producing, the guest booking, and the promotion, and I foot the bill as well. And while costs aren't tremendously high, there is still a cost. Things like podcast hosting, as well as a few services that I use for recording or mastering the audio. And in thinking about it, I've thought about using something like Patreon. But since Stage really is a Canadian podcast and Patreon charges in US dollars, that didn't seem like a great option. So I created a tip jar. And you'll find a link to that in the show notes of this episode. If you feel like dropping a little coin my way to help support Stageworthy, that would be appreciated. You, you can do that on, on a one-time basis or you can do it monthly. So if you can put some money in the tip jar, thank you. And if you can't, don't worry, I'm, I'm honestly just happy to have you as a listener. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 247 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is Velvet Wells. Velvet is a black, autistic, queer entertainer from Toronto. You can catch his latest show, Personal Demon Hunter, Divine and Conquer, on FringeLivestream.com on July 30th. Velvet, you and I have not had the chance to sit down and talk since Fringe last year. And we didn't really get a chance to talk much at Fringe because we were both fringing. Yeah, we uh, we both had a very busy schedule and our venues were not super close to each other. They were so not close to each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was uh, I was doing a uh, bring your own venue, so uh, I you know I chose a place that was comfortable to me, but and I knew that it was it was off the beaten track. Mm-hmm. But as a result, it, it was hard to get um, it was hard to get the fringe traffic, and and then also it was hard sometimes to have the energy to want to go to where the fringers are. I want to be where the fringe people are. Of of course, of course, and that and that that is that can be hard enough to do after you've pro- tried to promote your show and been running around and done a show. It's hard enough to then get up the energy to go where the fringe people are. Yeah, I I was fortunate that I got to see a few shows, but it has now been time that I'm not going to pretend to remember all of the show titles. No, uh, but uh, but I did get to do that, and I did get to the fringe tent. Uh, a couple of times at least, um, but I uh, I really just wanted to honor that I was in the middle of performance mode and mm-hmm. and self promotion mode and and then just give myself a break about yeah, anything absolutely. else. Yeah, uh, because um, this was uh, as much as I had a a trial run in Windsor. 
this was that was really my first show in Fringe, and mm. uh, and I wanted to have as much energy as possible for each performance, and uh, and not feel like I had to do too much in order to be a true Fringer. And that the show, just in case anybody missed it, was a uh, uh, personal demon hunter. Yes. Uh, and yeah. now I want to talk about where that show came from. Um, but you mentioned having uh, like a bit of a trial in Windsor. Was that at a Windsor fringe or was that like just a, 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 like a one shot or what? How did that come to come together? It was the Windsor Fringe. So the the genesis of me doing Fringe last year was I, I've actually applied through the lottery a few years in a row and not been selected. And I know that that is uh, part and parcel of Fringe in general. But uh, last year was my 50th birthday and I really needed to do Fringe. That was my birthday gift to myself. So, uh, so I was bummed out that I didn't get into the lottery initially. And then uh, I was talking to a friend and, and they encouraged me to look at the other fringes. There was no reason why it had to be at Toronto. And mm. so that's what I did. The first one that I found, the first one that had an availability or at least was still open for submissions was Windsor. And, uh, and pretty much within half an hour of me submitting, I got accepted. So <laughs> I went down there and I then understood a little bit of why I was accepted as quickly as I was. It was not a great experience. It was a great mm. learning opportunity, as uh, as I used to say in corporate Canada, and uh, and so I don't want to get too much into that. But I what I was given by the other artists who have been on the circuit uh, quite a bit, they said that this experience you will not get this anywhere else across Canada. So take it for what it is. It's mm. you know it's that learning opportunity. But then when you hit Toronto or any of the other stages you were going to be so prepared and it really was it like it created for me a, a sense of what the floor might be like how how bad could this be it was already covered and it was only up from there so that was did you did you learn anything in particular from from performing it before you hit toronto i ended up rewriting the show a little bit uh after uh, so, yes, to answer your question, the thing that I learned most from doing it in Windsor was to trust my gut. I had created a set before I went to Windsor thinking it's going to be in this order, and then I changed it in Windsor, and I was not happy with it. And and part of that was that uh, some of what I was waiting for in terms of music wasn't prepared yet, so I used what I had in, in the interim, and I wasn't happy with where it sat. And it was only in the last show where I put it where I wanted it to be and then took that to Toronto that I went, aha, see, I knew I was not wrong. And, uh, and that, was, that was gratifying to, uh, to have that confidence in myself. Uh, the other thing, uh, from doing it in Windsor, nobody knew who I was, and that's fine. Uh, it, that in some ways gave me some anonymity, but also mm. meant that whatever reactions they had to my material were honest. And that was, I, 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 in terms of performing in Toronto, I'm used to getting good feedback, but I also wonder how much that's because they're friends or family. So to do it down there and to have people have the same kind of a emotional reaction to my show was so heartening. 
and uh, and again, confidence building to know that hey, I'm now officially a playwright and and a you know I, I'm now doing solo shows and I don't necessarily need to have an ensemble in order to shine. What is the elevator pitch for Personal Demon Hunter? What was the elevator pitch? My elevator pitch was uh, Velvet Duke is a motivational speaker who needs your motivation today. Nice. Yeah. And however, having said that, uh, I thought that it was, I thought it was very pithy and I enjoyed it. And everybody I told, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Uh, but they came into the show with this expectation that I was going to be like evil or smarmy or something. So they were very thrown off by the fact that the show was as personal as it was. Mm. And, uh, and also as audience guiding as it was. Uh, I think that they, they expected me to set the audience up as a joke. Mm. And I just refused to do that. Uh, I did get one review that said something ended with something along the lines of, it seems like he earnestly cares how the audience is doing. And I thought, what kind of shows do you go to where the <laughs> audience where the audiences are just like thrown through the mud? Like I oh. don't want I don't want to see that show. I so, don't want to see that either. I don't want to go to that show. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but that kind of feeling from the from the initial I'm not sure what this is to suddenly coming out of it going, that was healing. That was I like how this felt. Uh, was I, I heard that often, and so I realized as much as I liked my elevator pitch, I really didn't set people up in in the media to mm. know what to expect from it. It's so hard to know how to do that with a show. Yeah. yeah, I think you almost have to perform it a few times before you really start to even really know both what the show is and what you need to tell people so that they are prepared going into it. I agree with that. And I would say, Phil, that one of the lessons that I learned out in Victoria was to listen to what audience members were telling each other about the show. And mm -hmm. so in Victoria, you paper the lines a lot. Now, in Toronto, I didn't really have that because I was in such an isolated area. Uh, the people who were already there for a fringe show knew about the show. So I, so Victoria was the first time that I learned how to paper. And initially, I'd go and I'd do my pitch, and I'd be very charming and lovely. And, uh, and then I started to hear the audience, and they were saying, oh, so near the end, he's going to make up a song based on whatever you say. I'm like, well, I mean, that is what I do. That is, that was part of, it was a cornerstone to the idea of what I wanted to present. But I realized, oh yeah, I'm not giving people the hook that they need to go, oh, that's different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is sort of that attitude towards solo shows is that you sort of have to give people something that lets them know that it's, I don't know, not a show about, your struggle with uh, carrots or something. Right. Like, yes. I, yeah. I didn't used to like carrots and now I do or whatever the show is, you know? Uh, yeah. Excuse me. I have to rewrite my, my sequel. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, sorry to blow that for you. Um, we'll talk, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, yeah. But I did want to ask you about the writing process for creating uh personal demon hunter. What does, what, what did your writing process look like? Uh, 
So it came in fits and starts and spurts and fizzles. And so I, uh, I have been a musical improviser the longest of any of the performing types that I do, but I also have done stand-up and storytelling and, and then theater uh, if I go back enough. So for this, I thought I'm going to start with what I know. So I know for sure I'm going to do the musical improv. I don't have to, I don't have to think a lot about that. I just have to think about what question I want to engage the audience in to lead into the song. So that one was fairly easy for me to hit. For, I had one song that I had written when I was younger that I knew I wanted to incorporate somewhere. So that was that was pretty much written. I just had to practice it. But for the stories themselves, I had the concept. I, I knew like the theme of this story, this part of the the show is uh, you know finding myself or uh, knowing that I'm enough. And then I would start to improvise around that theme and I would record it. And listen back and type it and and retype it. But as I said, there was a point off the very beginning where I thought I have to explain this world first. I have to get into the idea of this person being a successful motivational speaker, and I'm going to share the reality. I'm going to share that reality. And as I started to run it a few times, I realized I was. I was getting in my head and doing a false start. I like I, I was so focused on making sure the reality was true that I wasn't actually touching on any of the key points I wanted to in the show. Or, or by the time I did, it was like, well, that's 40 minutes and we haven't even gotten to one song yet. And so I put a lot of those things back on the shelf and, and I used that as, oh, this is historical information for me to know this character. Uh I thought I had the show down in February. I thought that, okay, I, I went on a writing spree, and I'm like, okay, this is the show. And then I ran it, and I was not at all happy with it. So I took 90% of what that version of it was, and I just I locked it away, and I, I didn't pay attention to it. And then I went back to writing again, in an atomic way. So it was, I want to talk about the being good enough. I want to talk about the running away. I want to talk about this this uh, true story that happened in the cinema. And I, I, I looked at it from the, what is it that I have to have in this piece? And then how do I connect them? So that was the process. And I, I don't know that it was necessarily logical for anybody else, but for me, it, it it allowed me to approach all of the material and treat it with the honor that I felt it deserved without feeling the pressure of any one specific part has to be perfect before I move on to the next. Hmm. That is, that is a, a pretty good lesson to learn. Um, I wish I'd learned that about 10 years ago when I first started <laughs> writing the commandment. Right. Um, <laughs> but I'm always fascinated with, with people's writing processes because everybody has, it has a different one. Yeah. Um, now, in that writing process, did you learn something that you've taken forward into creating your new show? Uh, 
I think what I said about the Windsor experience is true about how I've been approaching this next piece, and that is just really trusting myself. So I put a lot of pressure on what it looks like on the page as opposed to how it feels on stage. I am I am much better performer than I am a writer at this point. I, you know, it's a practice thing. So I am going, it's not that I'm going to be winging everything, but I'm going to trust that I'm going to lead with that feeling. This is the feeling I want to evoke. This is the message I want to send as opposed to, but on the page, you can see how it's this big block. And then, you know, there's, there's, it's almost like a haiku or it's, a, it's like, relax, relax. The only person who's going to see my script is me. Um, I am also, uh, I realized that as much as I was trying to honor the pieces uh, of the story that I wanted to tell, in a lot of ways, I could have narrowed the number of styles that I was trying to put into the show and focused on one or two and spent more time in them. So, for example, I knew I wanted to do the musical improv. I only gave myself space to do a little bit as a Q&A at the end of my last show. So if I want to do more musical improv, and I definitely am going to do more music, you heard a test of that, uh, then I'm going to give more space to that and not necessarily tell as many stories. So I'm I'm going through the stories that I have and, and I'm trying to be a little more judicious about which ones I share. and. Uh, Along the way, not just here, but also because I've been doing more storytelling, I realized that it's my style to try and tell you a catalog of information rather mm -hmm. than deep diving into one specific story or one detail. So I'm trying to move my move the meter a little bit more in that direction of being super specific uh, until it's time to move on. What can you tell me about the new show? I can tell you the title. <laughs> <laughs> that I can tell you with absolute confidence. So the okay, title, is, the title is Personal Demon Hunter, Divine and Conquer. Okay. Uh, it is still going to be, I can, I, I can also go further. I can tell you this. I uh, one of the other reviews that I got was this concept of going deeper and and as I said in terms of the narrative I am going to do that but one of the things that was true for me for personal demon hunter and remains true I am not willing to be the black body on stage sharing my trauma for your entertainment so I know that the theme of this sequel is going to be about black joy and through that lens, I am going to share some of the stories of my world travels with karaoke, uh, with scuba diving, and with skydiving. I also, uh, I am writing, I have the first bit of the theme song that goes along with this show. Uh, I have that figured out. I have more content to finesse for that. Uh, I know that there will be some musical improv. Uh, I really want to maintain the audience interaction, the audience engagement, because that to me is, uh, that's always been important. And it's not just about, uh, it's not about, it's not about them keeping me safe. I'm safe in my environment, my element. It's that there are not enough examples in our world where we play together or where mm. we really commune with each other. And I think theater can be one of those spaces for it. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, one of the unique challenges 
of the way that you're working on this is that instead of being able to perform this in a room, you're you're going to be having to perform it in a digital fashion through video streaming. Absolutely. So what have you learned so far about video streaming and the challenges of of doing it and with audience interaction through video streaming? I uh I am a child of the internet. I mean, I'm not a child. I'm not a child when I discovered it, but I grew up with the internet. I am so I'm so much more used to digital engagement than I am to interpersonal. Uh, so I, in some ways, feel safer being behind the screen than I, than otherwise. But I also recognize that lag or latency is a big concern, especially when you add music to your audio. It's, mm-hmm. That is one of those things I just, I have to be uh, mindful of. So, and then the other part of it, in terms of the audience engagement, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that, but I recognize there could be that case where nobody is in the room with me. Then what do I do? Well, yeah. uh, with, with Personal Demon Hunter, uh, the quickest show I ever did was 48 minutes because at the end, nobody wanted to talk about anything. And uh, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I just want to do another song. Can I just do another song? And they're like, oh, oh, oh okay, cool, cool, cool. Like they didn't realize <laughs> that they weren't really on the hook. Just let me do more content for you. So, but, so that could be repeated potentially in this situation. So I'll just prompt harder. Now, in terms of audience engagement, I've been in a few digital shows uh, that other people have produced, but I'm also doing a weekly musical improv show where I go for an hour and I make songs up based on the song titles they, they provide to me. But Otherwise, there's no real engagement. Every now and then I check into the chat to see where things are at. But mostly it's all uh, it's all self-guided and self-motivated. Uh, so I feel like I, I, I was doing that because I needed to do that for my own life. But it also is a great uh, testing ground for these kind of digital shows. Yeah, I think there's there, we're all, as we are, trying to work with the, in this digital sphere, there's all kinds of experimentation and how can I make this feel like a performance and not another zoom meeting? Yeah. I, uh, so that was one thing, uh, Phil, that I let myself off the hook for a little bit, uh, mm. because I really, I did, I mean, I have a green screen now that I can use and, and I was thinking, and I still may do this. I, I have time to try and figure out the t- technicality of it, but, The reality is I do not have a home theater. I cannot set up lights. I don't, you know, there's no gobos that I can do. I I don't have an audio system that, you know, I can fade in environmental music here and there. You know, I don't have enough space in my house to have a stage manager in one corner and we're Mm -hmm. socially distancing to, you know, for me to manage all those things. So that, those pieces that would definitely add to the uh, to the soundscape and the lightscape that would help bring you into the reality. I think I have to let go of a little bit and mm. and just accept that until we're there technology wise, uh, that it's not on me to be the one to solve it for the whole of theater. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, the thing is that 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 you know, you and and I we. We can't solve that. It's almost like you would need an entirely new piece of technology in order to do that. 
And we're just here in the digital sphere for the most part, temporarily until we get back into a theater. Yeah. For the most part. I I did have in the back of my mind a, a thought of reaching out to one of the theaters and seeing if there was a way that I could be locked in there basically for the, for the duration of my show. Mm. But that again was, I'm adding on some admin, I'm adding in the travel to the space, I'm adding, like, I'm adding a lot of elements to it that haven't really been asked of me. I mean, as a, as somebody who wants to be an early uh, adopter, sure, but uh, again, I don't have to be the most innovative person online yet. What I mean, as you mentioned, you mentioned sort of being like uh, a child of of the internet. I think you and I, being similar in age, we we probably came up with the internet at around the same time. What was your first uh, internet experience? I, uh, I, for the most part, I did. I wasn't. It wasn't until I went to university that I discovered that the internet exists. And and uh, when I was being given the orientation, they went, "Okay." And there's the computer room, and you can use your computer with your ID. I'm like, "What? I have access <laughs> to 24 hours of huh? What?" And uh, so I I grew up in the text. Uh, version of engaging with people on uh, and Netscape being the first graphic interface browser. Oh, yes. So that for me was like, whoa, there's pictures, there's colors. So I used it to learn HTML and uh, JavaScript and like, or what it was JavaScript at that point. And, uh, you know, like very basic st- uh, CSS styling and things. So I had a blast with it. And, but also mm. I started to meet people from around the world. And it was like, oh, there are people on the other side of the planet who are awake when I am. Uh, this is awesome. So middle of the night, I'm not alone. And, uh, and and that is part of why I felt far more comfortable being in the digital stream than uh, in real life. Did you find that as you're sort of learning about video streaming and 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 the technology that you're that you're integrating into the show? Um, did you feel a little bit almost like those days when you were learning HTML and JavaScript and CSS and it's like, ooh, this is new stuff? Uh, absolutely. I, I've been trying to find the right interface and uh, depending on what the kind of show it was, I, I, did, I do a, a, a musical duo show and for that one, we tried Discord and I love Discord, but there was a barrier to entry for audience members because mm-hmm. you had to get a, an account to log into that one. It's not a huge yeah. barrier for me. That's it's just another site. But for them, the idea of having to do that legwork was like, oh. So Zoom became the default because that's what so many people were already doing uh, mm-hmm. when it came to collaboration. I could just go straight to Facebook if I wanted, but I I personally found the video quality not great. So I enjoyed these experiments along the way to decide what's the right thing for me. Uh, I have discovered OBS the software to broadcast and mm-hmm. it's great but the problem is the machine i have isn't strong enough to really run it so mm-hmm. all of these lovely templates that people have for their shows i can't do any of that so even again that was part of discovering that was what made me realize that it was okay for me to back off of the innovation in mm. terms of the look and the and the wrappers that I had for my show because if if my sh- machine can't do that like just accept what it can do which is totally a metaphor for me. 
<laughs> just <laughs> accept what I can do. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and so I write my content is all geared toward the, yeah, I could talk about that really heavy thing. No, I can't. I mean, I have it. I have it in me. I'm not ready to have that conversation. Uh, mm. So, yes, I love I love the the new bells and whistles. I'm currently trying to figure out how to integrate captions into Zoom, but uh, right now that seems to be above my pay grade. Uh, but I but I'm I'm dedicating myself to uh, whether it's for this show or or has to be in the future. I am going to have shows that have live captioning occurring because uh, not enough shows do. And I'm hoping that even by trial and error and maybe, you know, just bothering the right people, that it's it trickles up the chain so that Zoom starts to offer it as part of their uh, subscription package rather than having all of these people doing piecemeal work with it. Yeah, it is. I know that from my own research, the the the, the captioning is... Um, I think it has to be manual. Well, currently, um, so uh, it's, yeah. there's two options. There's the doing it manual. You as, you assign somebody to it, or you use a third party API, mm. and like they provide the code for it and everything. I'm like, oh, this should be plug and play. It is not at all plug and play. No. Right, and and so that's where like my initial uh, being stuck was. It was asking for the API uh, link and then the code. I'm like, well, there's nowhere that I'm looking that ever speaks to this code to find right. it in the first place. I did digging, I uncovered, and it was like, ah, this reminds me so much of when I used to do web design, where I had to <laughs> uncover a new way to connect to the database or whatever it was. And so, yes, I do get joy from those kind of uh discoveries and new learnings and and taking time to research those are all it's all skills that i've built up over the years so i have somewhere to apply it so that's great but i really just want to go to a site that says here's how you do it for yourself <laughs> for free or for cheap because absolutely i could just hook into one of these transcription sites and pay 60 dollars for a, an hour of show well, for an improv show that doesn't make money, that doesn't make sense. That's the thing. Yeah. So so I'm quite willing to go off and, and explore in this direction. I'm not going to let it impede the development mm -hmm. of any of my work. Uh, because, again, it's it, I'm fine with somebody else having innovated it and, uh, and gifting it to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that honestly, if somebody else innovates and gifts it to you, that's sort of a win. So oh, anybody has it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually so it, so when I was looking for the code, I, I had posted onto my profile on Facebook saying I'm stuck here. Can anybody assist? There, I do have a, an acquaintance who is working in a company that does this. They 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 consider it proprietary, and for me, it's like, well, I get it because I'm looking at all the steps that I will have to do to replicate what I think they're doing, uh, because I, underst I understand what is required in the back end. It's just a matter of figuring out all of these little pieces. So I, I made a joke to him of they should sponsor me. So I am <laughs> I am going to reach out. The thing was I deleted that thread, so I forget the name of the company. <laughs> so I'll, I will find out, and, uh, and I'll further that conversation, because I also feel like even if they say no, in hearing somebody asking for that request in this way, they may they may come up with a solution that 
theaters or performers can use that is cheaper than what they expect from corporations. I mean, that is the thing is, is a lot of times these things are being created uh, for corporations or conferences, which tend to have a, quite a larger budget, budget than yeah, the average yeah. show does. Yeah, more than zero. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm having a good time with it. I'm trying not to get too frustrated with myself that I'm not able to, uh, to whip it up in a night. But, uh, but that's also because, you know, those are the glory days when I could do that. You know, I could do a 24-hour on new code. Uh, I, I have other things in my life now. There you go. There you go. Um, actually, one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about and one of my favorite things to ask people about is their, their performing origin story. Like, what is it that started you on the path to performing? And what did you think you were going to do? And, 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 and how has that changed? I'm going to start before I knew I was ever going to be anywhere near the theater. I remember as a kid watching Mr. Dressup and saying, I'm going to be on that show someday. Um, uh, and so jumping around in history, I made that goal. Uh, so now, when I, was in, uh, when I was in high school, I was, uh, I was having some troubles at home, and I ended up moving high schools, moving to a different region. And, uh, and the first friend that I made there, his name was also Phil. And uh, and he said, hey, have you considered taking theater? I'm like, no, why would I even think about it? It was not on my radar in any single way. And he's like, well, just, you know, sit in for a day and see if you like it. And sure enough, I like just like uh, to honey, like I was a, I, I just love <laughs> I loved the teacher. I found that he was very engaging. He was this Australian teacher who was uh, was innovative compared to the other teachers, uh, and that was from their mouths, that he was this, you know, he's very innovative and very boisterous and very passionate, and, uh, and he loved theater, but he, even more, he loved improv, and, and I went, oh, this, like, I get this. Uh, for me, I, I, I kind of the metaphor for me is like math. I'm not necessarily great with like with um, with decimals. I, I get confounded with decimals. But as soon as you get to the symbolic math or the logic of math, I am just I'm my mind is opened up and it's not a, a really a beautiful mind or anything like that. But like I'm, I'm suddenly on board with what this thing is. And I found improv to be such a joy and so easy to connect with. And, uh, and to be intense with or to be silly or you really could do anything you want as long as you were doing it with your partner. And so I had a choice in high school of whether I wanted to go through for programming or for improv. And I decided that I was going to go for theater because uh, I loved programming too much and I didn't want to end up hating it at one point. Uh. And so, look, I recognize in hindsight that I could could have had a very steady stream of income for many more years than I did had I chosen it the other way around. Um, but, uh, but that was at that point, I was, I was adamant that going into theater school was the way for me. And my first year of theater school, was boring. It turns out that my high school teacher had taught us at the college level. Ooh. And uh, and so at the end of the first year, of course, they decide who is going to stay and who isn't. And uh, and they sat me down to say, well, unfortunately, we don't see him. Like, oh, no, no, I'm leaving. 
Like y'all have nothing for me. Mm. And, uh, and then I was leaving and one of the professors came out and said, um, I understand. Sure. That's, that's a choice, but I want to give you a piece of advice. And that is the theater community, like many other uh, working communities, uh, is kind of close knit. So you want to ensure that you're not burning any bridges. And I heard it, but I also was already mentally gone. So, uh, so I mm. dove into the Toronto improv community at that point, mm. and uh, and I had a blast. And uh, and then I got depressed and had to take time away from everything, and uh, I ended up going back to university because I um, I needed to prove to myself that I was smart at that point. Mm. I was feeling like that at least was that was where stable ground was again. So I went back there and uh, and I got my degree, uh, but I also was connected to the improv uh, scene that was happening down there. So that and at that time, I I was involved in some theater. I was involved in the improv. I was doing some. I was doing it all really. Uh, and then I uh, I got married and had kids, and I really wasn't doing any performing at all until uh, until I got divorced. And then uh, this is really such a long answer, but uh, it, it, I did, I was feeling part of my depression came in that as much as I love the improv, that there were politics that were going on in the improv scene that I didn't know how to reconcile and I didn't know who to talk to or to get mentored by, or I, I really was feeling left out of things and I didn't know how to, how to change that for myself. Uh, so when I came back to Toronto, I didn't go near the improv scene again because a lot of those people were still there. Uh, but then, and now it's been, uh, I guess it's been nine years I've been back in the scene and I, I came back because that was the hole in my heart that was missing. Hmm. And, uh, and since then, like the world is brighter and writer for me. How, I mean, how long did it take you to realize that that was the thing that was missing? Uh, I think that I always knew it, but I felt like my obligations required me to keep out anyway, mm. and and that was part of the sadness that I was feeling is that I was I was self isolating out of uh, responsibility, mm. and uh, and I I realized I was the only one doing that. Nobody else was uh, that I could tell. Nobody else was sequestering themselves away from their artistic passions. So I, I uh, swallowed the pride that I had, and I was very much welcomed with open arms from the people who remembered me from before, and the new people had no history with me. I was a blank slate, and uh, and I, the one thing that I'd given myself as a promise when I came back was I was going to perform more musical improv because that's where my passion lay. And uh, when I when I had uh, when I was leaving before, that was one of the problems. Is that there were some people who liked musical improv, but most people hated it, and uh, and I didn't want to be surrounded by that. So I, I dedicated myself to, uh, and I jumped into a troupe right away where all we did was musicals, and I mm -hmm. had a blast. I can imagine. Um. In terms of, of, of you, you mentioned that, that creating your solo show and doing it at a fringe was your, your 50th birthday present to yourself. Yeah. Um, had you thought about 
performing solo before that? So the answer is yes, but I was scared. And, uh, and ironically, it, it took me doing stand-up to realize that it wasn't as scary a threshold as I thought. Um, I, and I only got into doing stand-up because I, at one point I was running a stand-up show. I was hosting, but I wasn't doing any material. And, uh, and it, was, it had an open mic portion. So friends who would say, oh, I want to do stand-up sometime, I'm I would say, you're booked. And go up on stage. Just face hmm. your fear. Don't worry about it. And I realized that was hypocritical for me to expect that of them and not do it <laughs> myself. So I started doing the stand-up as a way to start to transition into doing solo um, performing. And uh, and it definitely made it easier. When I started doing solo improv, I was like, oh, this is so much easier. I don't have to memorize lines. I just have to be present in the moment with it. Um, and so I took that into creating Personal Demon Hunter and going, well, how would I say, like, I, let's just make it up on the spot. How, how would I react to this feeling that I've just revealed? Okay, let's sit in that. And I, so I found that process to be a, a pretty easy transition back into scripted material. Um, you mentioned the that you had wanted to to be a solo performer for a while, but that you were frightened. Was there something? Had you seen a solo show? Had you seen solo performers that that had inspired you to want to do that? previously yeah i hadn't seen it there are two things that i haven't seen live but that i was aware of one was uh, is rebecca northen has the mimi uh mm -hmm. eight mm -hmm. show which is I, I have now seen it on video and it's fabulous mm -hmm. and then i uh jill bernard is an improviser out in minnesota that does a show called drum machine and it's literally her on stage with a drum machine and i'm like I could do that. Like it's just a matter of getting a drum machine. Okay, cool. But it, both of them have such a joy that they bring to the performance and they are very playful with either the partner or with the audience. And I thought, you know, that's, that is how I am when I'm not on stage. That is how I am when I'm supporting other people on stage. Why can't I, and, and when the times when, uh, so I have one troupe that does shows at fan expo uh, the dandies, like we, we get to mm -hmm. do uh, fandom based improv and I'm the host. And there are some times where I have to remind myself to get back to actually doing the show because I I'm in host mode. <laughs> and that made me realize, wait, I already, I have the skill set. I am trusting myself in, in, you know, in terms of music or, or whatever I'm offering. It's time for me to be that person who can do this. Nice. What was the, I mean, once you, once you started doing it, like how, okay, I'll back up. The first time that I performed my solo show, the first, very first time I pretty much was going to vomit for the whole day. <laughs> but once I got past that, once I finished my first full fringe doing that show, I was like, well, this is it. This is what I have to do. Yeah. Um, it's almost addictive to be the solo person on stage taking an audience on a journey. Yeah. And I, I, I've seen that with John Bennett and with, uh, with Carlin, uh, uh Rainey as well. Like mm. they both, they both very much bring people on their journeys. Uh, I, for me, it wasn't vomit, but I definitely was, I was 
petrified up until the moment that I said my first sentence. Mm. And then I went, oh, I, oh, right. I'm in performance mode. Like performance mode gave me this, like suddenly my superpower had been activated or something. (laughs) Like it just, it gave me that I have the lights on me. People are going Mm. to watch me regardless of how interesting I'm worried I may or may not be. They are here for me. Let's do this. Uh, now, and that's not to say that every moment was perfect, but I, I definitely felt buffered from any of that anxiety and worry that I had before starting it. When I got to Toronto, it changed a little bit from night to night, mostly be based on the audience engagement parts, because I would incorporate that into what I was doing. Um, or sometimes I would skip around in in the which module I was doing uh, to the chagrin of my stage manager. but. It, it was still because it was all my voice. It was still holistic, and it was still it still all made sense. And the I felt the power that you're talking about that addiction and that adrenaline of I have this. Like I nobody else can do this in the way that I am, and my voice matters, and I'm saying things that are interesting and smart and empathetic, and like I was just feeling like I was feeling the best version of myself. Nice, nice, um, and of course, you continue to 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 want to do that, and um, what the the show. The new show is, yeah. is it July 31st? It's it. So I'm going to pull up a, ca- a calendar just because this is sure. being recorded. It is the last Thursday of July. It's July 30th. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a 9 p.m. show. It will happen through the Fringe live stream page on Facebook as well as their .com site. And, uh, and uh, is there more to that question? Because I can continue. Oh, please continue. So it's going to be, uh, at this point, I'm pegging it to be an hour-long show because I don't know how to do quick shows. And, uh, and it's, going to be, it's going to be live on their site for a week following the presentation. Uh, and all of these shows, every single week, there is a donation link so people can donate to the artists. Uh, so I'm excited to have something out there again. Uh, yeah. I, I did get an archival video of uh, Personal Demon Hunter, but it was uh, there was also some technical issues that were happening mm-hmm. that night. So I'm not su- I don't want to put that content out there anywhere. And I really was only doing it so that I had a version for myself so I could look back someday and say, just like the Mr. Dress Up, I can't find that tape, but I want to be able to show to people, no, 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 that was me. Uh, I want to have this material out there. Doing this show allows me to, you know, going forward to have more digital content. I always feel like with with those archival videos that I've I've never seen one that I'm satisfied with for myself. Yeah. I almost always I'm like, okay, so what I should do is just record every night of the run <laughs> at Fringe, and then I'm just going to sit down for like a week and yeah. edit them together. Yeah, yeah, because we 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 know how much energy we have post Fringe to do anything. Well, I'm not. I mean. I don't know about you, but I was on my couch for about two weeks after Fringe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but as much as that was true, as much as I was relaxing in some ways, actually, I had to go back to work, but but it was a different uh, headspace than, than you know, theater. So that, to me, was less uh, mind uh, mindful and less um, taxing. So, mm. but still, 
I didn't do as I think I did one show relatively close to having done all of these, but otherwise I was like, no, I don't need any more stage time for at least a month. <laughs> and then and then suddenly I did because I like yes. being in under the light. So well, we all we all do. We all have to if 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 we reach the point where we're like, ah oh, yes, now I am satisfied, we'd we'd yeah. stop. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, I, do, I do have to say that's one of the other reasons why I'm looking forward to doing this show in July is a it gives me a benchmark of that at the end of July I am presenting something new but mm. also it means I'm presenting something like my days right now being self-isolated with my partner uh it's pretty lonely and it's very like, that's why I do the, sh the shows and why I do zoom things just so that I can see other people's faces. So I'm really looking forward to doing this just for that of this big event where everybody comes out and I can just kind of smile at everybody. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned isolating with your partner um, as, as so many of us are, um, you know, isolating in our groups and, and, you know, our family groups or our, our personal, like just, or alone in our apartments. Um, what has been giving you joy that, that, that helps you to get through all of the, like the day to day of, of all of this? I have really had to practice radical love. Um, and, and the cornerstone of that is self-kindness. So yeah. I've had to allow myself on those in those moments where I'm feeling sleepy, have that nap where I need liquid hydrate, like all of the all of the body needs. I've been just I've, I've been very thankful and have been discovering joy in just letting that be the new pattern of my life. Uh, I also play a lot of video games and uh, and that was something when I was working and doing shows that I relegated to maybe on the weekend, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have that kind of time. My partner and I wa binge watch a lot of shows together. So we have that time together. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been a few times when I've stepped outside the house into the sun and mm -hmm. I miss the sun. I miss the warmth and uh and so we have a space that is isolated, so I can do that a little bit more when the weather really gets nice again. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to those kind of things. And and then mm -hmm. also, I have the shows that I do. They, mm -hmm. they anchor me, but also they do give me those, those little adrenaline uh, spikes that I need and want. And, uh, and, and I get to be creative on them, which is super important to me. Uh, as I, you know, as I said, like it was a hole in my heart. So not getting to do that in as much, uh, it's starting to change. People are starting to become more comfortable with the Zoom. People are, and now that you know, now that we're going to start to allow people to get together in venues, hmm. we're going to start to see more of those kind of shows. But me personally, it's the just connecting with people. Uh, I've started to text some people just to say, hey, how you doing? Get a, hey, how you doing back? And like just <laughs> that connecting with my community. Mm -hmm. um, I had a thought. I lost it. So I'm not going to go forward with trying to act like I know what I was going to say next. Um, Velvet, I just wanted to, as we sort of draw to, the, draw to a close, thank you for for taking the time this evening to to talk to me. And it it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It truly has been a pleasure. 
I uh, I really appreciate the work that you're doing for the community, and uh, and it's interesting to me, like just to listen. So to be part of it has been special for me. This has been a Homebody Productions production.